facts of life won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Watch out. Spaceballs. <laughs> the whole movie is worth it for the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, that song is amazing. <laughs> All right, well, take yourself back to 1987. Ooh. February 23rd, SN1987A, the first naked eye supernova since 1604 is observed. What? Yeah. Oh. You could see it with your naked eye. Okay, quit saying naked eye. What? <laughs> it's what it's called. Keeping everybody out. <laughs> March 30th, the 59th Academy Awards take place in Los Angeles with Platoon winning Best Picture. Yeah, Platoon. That was funny. That was a hilarious. It was the best comedy. <laughs> the only comedy to ever win the Best Picture. No, that movie was pretty rough. It was. I still have flashbacks from the Vietnam movies of the 80s that I had to watch. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Uh, May 11th, uh, Nazi Klaus Barbie goes on trial in Lyon for war crimes committed during World War II. Now, you know, when I read your script, I looked down and I was like, Nazi Barbie? And then I was like, oh, okay. Because I thought there was like a Nazi Barbie that I didn't remember the Nazi Barbie coming out in, in 87. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, foretelling things to come. She was very blonde. <laughs> Uh, June 24th, Spaceballs opens to mixed reviews. Spaceballs! Uh, since then, Spaceballs has become a cult classic, being quoted by nerds everywhere. Yes. Yeah. I distinctly remember going to brunch with my friend Ben and his family in the early 90s, and Ben and his brother Adam. Literally, word for word, the entire jam scene. So, let's go to the origins of Spaceballs. Obviously, it starts with the legendary Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah. Brooks was born in Brooklyn in 1926. Uh, Mel Brooks was actually not his given name. His given name was uh, Mel Kaminsky, but he eventually changed it because of the... Uh, Anti-Semitism? No, oh. because of the musician Max Kaminsky. Oh, okay. Um, he changed his name. Anyway, he was born in Brooklyn in 1926. Uh, his father died when he was two at the age of 34 from tuberculosis. Same age as my father. Yeah. He died, except yeah. I was three. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said about his father's death, There's an outrage there. I may be angry at God or the world for that, and I'm sure a lot of my comedy is based on anger and hostility. Growing up in Williamsburg, I learned to clothe it in comedy and spare myself problems like a punch in the face. Brooks was small and sickly and constantly teased about his smallness by his classmates. I get what he says, though, because yeah. one of the, I love Mel Brooks, mm -hmm. and one, one of the reasons, too, like... I learned that he lost his dad at an early age. Yeah, yeah. And it made me angry, too. And it was like a lot of my early comedy stabs and stuff were pretty, you know, <laughs> pretty brutal, too. You know, like uh, yeah. Beaver the Cleaver, you know, whereas, like, he's chopping everybody up. <laughs> wow. But, you know, so I get it. It You know, having a, a outlet to, to you know, work through that anger in, in a more productive way is definitely uh, yeah. positive. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, rather than, yes, rather than being angry, definitely. Although know. I did take some punches and give some punches in the face. I uh, wasn't sickly <laughs> as a child. <laughs> uh, at, nine, at nine, his Uncle Joe, a taxi driver, took him to see Anything Goes, uh, uh, the show on Broadway, after scoring free tickets to the show by giving a grateful doorman a free ride home after the sh a show was over. Anything Goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a pretty sweet deal. 
Yeah, I mean, so the deal was his uncle gave the guy a ride home because he was a taxi driver, and he said, oh, you need to get home, I'll give you a ride. And so the dude gave him a couple tickets to see the show, and he took his nephew, Mel. Mel Kaminsky. <laughs> uh, Mel Kaminsky. And Broadway tickets were like 80 cents back then, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They weren't, they weren't, I mean, which like translate now, translate yeah. now is to over a million dollars. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 80 cents could buy you a house back in the 20s and 30s. Well, I mean, it was 1935. Like, Ooh, I, yeah. Well, it could only buy you half a house. Half a house. <laughs> but a really nice range. What do you got in your pocket for a down payment? 75 cents? Okay. Now your mortgage is three cents a month. And it's a five-year mortgage. Oh, I don't know if I can pay it. I'm only making nine cents at the factory. Yeah, you're making nine cents a week. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know? Uh, Everybody <laughs> back then was like, because there's no paper money. Everybody just had no, paper money didn't exist in the 30s. Yeah. Everybody knew when you were coming. Here comes a poor. After seeing the show, Brooks decided he was going to go into show business. His family is all in the garment business, and he decided he was not going to do that. He wanted to get into show business. Nice. He learned the drums at age 14 from Buddy Rich. That's insane. Who was by his the way. neighbor in Williamsburg. But was Buddy Rich Buddy Rich by then, or was he just his no, neighbor? No, he was young. He was his neighbor. But I mean, it was it's like crazy. he was still at that age. He was really good at. But he wasn't uh, yet yeah. famous for being I Buddy Rich. I don't believe so, no. This is maybe. I don't yeah, know. She may have been. It's like Forrest Gump. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like Elvis and all Just that stuff. Randomly, yeah. Uh, he uh, had his first chance to do comedy at the age of 16, filling in for a missing MC. Uh, Where'd he go? He loved. The MC yeah. disappeared. Did they ever find him? I'm doing quotes. Disappeared. Nice. Is this going to be a true crime podcast now? Uh, they found him. He had fallen off the Brooklyn Bridge. The MC had disappeared in 1939. <laughs> Giving Mel Brooks the break he needed as a comedian. But what happened to that MC? Let's delve deeply into Williamsburg. (laughs) (laughs) Brooks graduated from high school in 1944 and was immediately drafted into the army to fight the Nazis. Yeah, man, they all were Nazi punchers back then. That was crazy. I mean, he he literally graduated in January of 1944. 44, not 94, January 44, and literally within a month was drafted in the Army. Yeah, which gives him total credit to make fun of the Nazis. Yes. You know, is, if you yeah. fight the Nazis, you got yeah. free reign to make fun of the Nazis. Well, I mean, technically everybody should have free reign to make yes. fun of the Nazis yeah. because the Nazis are just dumb. He scored really high on a standardized Army test and was slated to learn a trade via his service, uh, but a lack of fighting soldiers caused the program to be disbanded, and he ended up clearing mines as the Army advanced through Europe. Yeesh. He was literally going to learn mechanical engineering, and then they were like, "Yeah, we don't have enough soldiers, so, so go." Hey, Jokey, go crack <laughs> jokes while you pick up the mines, so we don't all blow up. <laughs> Here's a gun and an instruction manual. Don't die. Hey, funny guy. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go get those mines? Uh, after the war ended in Europe, uh, he organized shows for American and captured German soldiers because uh, he had he was still doing his tour and it was forced to stay in Europe after VE day hmm. uh, so he you know he took his show business acumen and made it uh, work for the soldiers did he is this through like USO or was it just no I think it was just a... him I think Weird. it was him just setting up shows uh, yeah uh, well you know they had, after the war ended a lot of soldiers were still there and a lot of them were super bored yeah, uh, there was really nothing to do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brooks started writing for Sid Caesar's variety show, Your Show of Shows, in 1950, alongside Woody Allen, Neil Simon, and Carl Reiner. That show was really a breakout for comedy. Like, a lot yeah. of 
yeah, I think George Carlin even might have started on there. Yeah, yeah, it was um, a long list. Of, back when of, Carlin yeah. was a standard comedian, he was your, <laughs> he was a joke teller. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about my wife. Uh, your show of shows was pretty groundbreaking for the time. Your yeah. comedy wasn't just your standard, you know, comedy. It had a lot of like Imogene Coca was on it. There was a oh, lot yeah. of like, funny females, and it also had you know this kind of it was. It was smart dumb because you had right. like Woody Allen and Carl Reiner right, and right. you know and Woody Allen and I mean I said Woody Allen twice and Brooks, <laughs> Jesus. he was he was in twice he uh, wrote twice yeah he was after the kids no uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will lock up your daughters oh. Woody Allen's writing um, actually just lock up his daughters but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, fine um, but yeah I mean it just it it was a great place for these guys to cut their teeth because you have to. Th- you have to realize that this is kind of a bridge between like vaudeville and television. Yeah, yeah. And television is relatively new after World yeah, War II, yeah. and you know it's it's much more of kind of a live performance type of thing. So yeah, it was yeah. you know there was a lot of moving parts, and it was a great way for him to like work fast, right. and write fast. And, yeah, uh, it, it's a boot camp. You definitely learn your trade very quickly. Exactly. It was yeah. like the precursor to Saturday Night Live. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah. You know? It's it, Every once in a while this happens with comedy shows like this. Uh, it's just one of those things that happens. Yeah, there's a show where the show, at least your show shows did very well and ran for four years. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, in 1960, Mel Brooks moved to Hollywood and created The 2,000-Year-Old Man with Carl Reiner, which led to a comedy album that sold over one million copies. If you haven't heard the bit, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's very funny. It's Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, and Carl Reiner is an interview, and he's like, I'm interviewing the 2,000-year-old man. How are you doing? And, oh, boy, I'm a 2,000-year-old man. I am so tired. And, you know, it's, a, it's such a great bit. He goes through history, and, and yeah. uh, it, it, they did it again, I think, like 70 years later or oh, something, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. before Reiner died, and it was still just as funny. Yeah. You know, when they did it back in the, it's, the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great conceit. It's very funny. Uh, he won an Academy Award for The Critic, a short animated film about art house movies that he acted in. Uh, technically, I don't think he actually got a an award for that. Although te- it was his idea, and then he handed it off to another guy, and yeah. he did the uh, – essentially it was just him doing a running monologue of critiquing – Art house movies and how he bad they handed are. it off to John Lovitz. <laughs> I'm the critic. <laughs> in 1965, he created Get Smart with Buck Henry. Ah, uh, Buck, yeah. Mother Buckin' Henry, man, <laughs> one of the greatest comedy writers of all time. Yeah. So yeah. instrumental to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So instrumental. Get Smart was such a groundbreaking show. It yeah. was so different than everything else that was out there. Yeah. That was this is you'll see is uh Millbrooks is definitely he he does not play by the rules <laughs> and, no. and does his own thing and yet somehow it's still very popular. Uh he said about Get Smart, I was sick of looking at all those nice sensible situation comedies. They were such distortions of life. I wanted to do crazy unreal comic strip kind of thing about something besides a family. No one had ever done a show about an idiot before. I decided to be the first. <laughs> also, uh you'll you'll realize as we go through that Millbrooks is so hard on himself. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's yeah. That's the 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 self-deprecating, yeah, yeah. you know, self-loathing yeah. of the comedy man. That's you know, it all comes from pain, baby. The funniest guys have the some of the oh, hardest yeah. lives. That's very true. That's very true. Get Smart ended up winning seven Emmy awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series in 1968 and 1969. Yeah, if you have a chance, check it out. I've never actually seen the original Get Smart. Oh, I um, love that show. One of the greatest. Openings of any show ever. It's just him 
going in like different doors and like oh yeah 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 i'm gonna have to find it and watch it because it's yeah your buddy bernie capel he plays he's one of the you know he's one of the germans one of chaos agents of chaos i like how he's my buddy yeah you love bernie capel um we all love bernie capel but uh it was just Dumb and hilarious and smart at the same time. It was it was groundbreaking because it was so different and and it was in, incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It was just cool to see, you know, a spy that wasn't James Bond who was trying to be James Bond, right? And he wasn't right. like Maxwell Smart, played impeccably by Don Adams. By oh the way. yeah, oh yeah. Uh, An Agent Ninety Nine by the beautiful Barbara Feldon as Agent Ninety Nine. Ooh, I had such a crush on her. She was so funny and so just smart. And she was the one, you know, it's like, it was also one of the, you know, first kind of comedies where, you know, the the female lead was the smarter of the two. Right. She was the right. one that was solving the problems. The and, guy was an idiot and she was, she was the actual force behind the... You know. He was more ego than idiot. <laughs> but, of, of you know, yeah, ego yeah. forces idiocy a lot of times oh, when yeah, you put yeah. it in. But it was just a really awesome show. I just remember... It was one of my favorite reruns when I was homesick. Oh, yeah. Watching Old yeah. Smart. Yeah. Uh, Brooks wrote and directed The Producers in 1968. Uh, he ended up winning the Academy Award for Best Screenplay over Stanley Kubrick and John Cassavetes. That, that is insane. <laughs> Which is, that is saying something. Definitely saying something. But it was such a smart script. This is the thing. I mean, we're going to get into this, but this is, this is why I have issues with Spaceballs. Yeah, yeah. Is because... His trajectory is so, like, the first few things he does, the producers and uh, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles, yeah. they're, they're perfect. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's their comedy classics. It cements him as a comedy genius, one of the comedy geniuses of America. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, we will do a producer's episode uh, because it is brilliant. And, and we're going to do it. Yeah, we Frankenstein. We're yeah. going to do a Blazing Saddles. We're going to have a Brooks Brothers event. <laughs> we're going to buy suits? Yes. We're going <laughs> to buy Brooks Brothers suits. We're going to watch Mr. Brooks. <laughs> oh, except yes. for the parts with the. Uh, Actually, I really like that Mr. Brooks. Awful Dane comedian. Cook. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, except hey, we're going to skip past the Dane Cook part. the best movie ever because Dane Cook dies. Yeah. Spoiler alert. If you and... hate Dane Cook, watch Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks is a great movie, though. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, so it had really he had a lot of problems because of the producers. Uh, if if you don't know what the producers is, which God by now everybody should, uh, it's essentially me. Uh, well, it's about putting on a musical about yes. Hitler. It's one of, also one of the first like behind the scenes, yeah. making of a making of. It's a very know? meta kind yeah. of movie, which he does a lot and and has evidence in Spaceballs a lot. Well, yes, he's very. Well, he doesn't. I mean, the producers don't really break the fourth wall. No. But, I mean, he's not shy about breaking the fourth wall. No, no, no. Uh, it became a huge underground hit across college campuses, uh, cementing his name with the young kids. Uh, eventually, he would create a musical for the movie, and in 2001, after it won 12 Tony Awards, Brooks became one of the few people to complete the EGOT. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Yeah. Those are the awards that make up an EGOT. <laughs> it's yeah. only him and Mr. T. Coined by uh, uh, Philip Michael Thomas. Philip Michael, is his name? From 
from my Miami Vice. Vice. Yeah, it was an interview. He he was literally the person that coined EGOT. Because I love him he, even more. He said that he was going to win the EGOT, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Is I'm going to win an Emmy and a Grammy and an Oscar and a Tony. And he did, and he won none. Not do it. He did not <laughs> he did do not it at all. But you know what? He one. deserved them all. He definitely deserved an Emmy. Yeah, and he definitely yeah. deserved a Grammy for his. I, saw, I didn't know you didn't know that. That's so funny. Yeah, oh, it would God. all start with Philip Michael Thomas. Yeah, he was uh, also in. Uh, he was also in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. He should have yeah. won a, 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 a Viddy, a vid- whatever the video game awards are. <laughs> a gamey. He just had a birthday uh, recently, and I uh, doing some research on him. Apparently, he was the Kanye West of his time in the eighties. Well, you know, he earned it. Happy birthday, belated birthday, yeah. my my prince. <laughs> I'm a beautiful man. Oh, Philip Michael Thomas, baby. I love him. Yeah. He's, oh, he's fantastic. He's great. Uh, after a couple of other movies, uh, Brooks wrote and directed Blazing Saddles in 1974, a send-up of the Western genre. Unreal how good that movie is. Yeah. I mean, look, fantastic. there's a lot of stuff that may not pass muster, but it's still hilarious. And it still is, like, very poignant about racism yeah. and you know it's like it, it's edgy but it's like it earns it man and uh one of the writers of that was richard pryor oh yeah who was yeah. supposed to star in that oh but, but he did yeah caught on fire <laughs> um but <laughs> cleave on little was that in 74 was uh, it that long ago i thought it was in the 80s that no happened. it was i'm kidding but okay he uh <laughs> he, was it more than once did yes, he catch on he, fire he more did than it a lot it was kind of an annual thing for him the burning of the prior um <laughs> No, that's horrible. But Cleavon Little was amazing as yeah. uh, the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to make an admission here that you're going to get really, really mad about. Um, literally, be, besides Spaceballs, the only other Mel Brooks movie I've seen is Young Frankenstein. Oh, Lord. Well, you got some catching up to do. Yeah. The funniest thing about Blazing Saddles, and I'm just going to say this, uh, is I remember watching it on television. I watched mm-hmm. it for the first time, of course, on television. Cut. For yeah, content yeah, yeah. and time. But there's a scene in Blazing Saddles where everybody's sitting around the fire and they just start farting. And it's this <laughs> hilarious fart scene. And it's, <laughs> what you doing? And it's, it's, uh, it's slim pickings and everybody just stop farting. It's just ain't good to do. But in the TV version, they cut all the farts. What? So it's basically just silence, and you hear, what are you doing? And they cut all the like references to farts, so it's just silence. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it was, look, man, you couldn't flush a toilet on TV back then. No, yes. Standards of practice, you couldn't, like, have, you could barely show people in the same bed, even if they were married. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a very restrictive time. At some point, we're going to do uh, a series about TV cuts. Because oh, yeah. the first time I ever saw The Breakfast Club was a TV cut version. And, oh, my God, it was so unintentionally funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, same great. with, like, uh, Goodfellas. And, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. – or, or, or well, I think the best example is Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With uh, the, the – this is how you do a stranger. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever it is. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's the most ridiculous. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that – I was like – I'm like, why is this supposed to be funny? And then, you know, the old man's watching, and he'd seen it before. He's like, they, they cut out the farts. <laughs> it's like, mm. Good, I will say, Goodfellas, my favorite, the cut, is that when Joe Pesci freaks out and he stabs the guy to death with the pen, it just goes from him picking up the pen to the guy laying on the floor, and it's just like, what happened? Look at me! <laughs> yeah, Look at me! Anyway, uh, also released in 1974, he wrote and directed Young Frankenstein, a send-up of Universal Monster Movies starring Gene Wilder. Back-to-back classics. Two of the funniest comedies ever. And 
Young Frankenstein is an absolutely perfect movie. Yeah. And yeah. It, it even if it wasn't a send-up, here's the thing about his spoofs. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to be spoofs. They're they're standalone no. good movies. And Blazing Saddles isn't really a spoof of anything. Yeah, yeah. It spoofs westerns and Hollywood. It's In general, like, but not nothing specific. I mean, the yeah. ending basically is a chase onto the lot, <laughs> you know, and they're all in cars and shit by yeah, the end. Yeah, it's yeah. so absurd. It's Blazing Saddles is a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's a, yeah. it's a Bugs Bunny yeah. movie with Cleavon Little playing Bugs Bunny. Right. And uh, Young Frankenstein is just Gene Wilder, there's there's certain pairings, you mm-hmm. know, De Niro and Scorsese. And, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Cameron and... <laughs> Everyone and that Rob, he's ever worked Robin with? Robin Thicke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Why did you go to Kirk Cameron? I just love Kirk Cameron. I miss him, you know? I miss the old Kirk. The guy that was crazy. I, I, he does YouTube videos if you want to see. The old Kirk. Oh, okay. That's okay. what I miss. Oh, I the original Kirk. Yes. Oh, yes. Classic Kirk. <laughs> Classic Cameron. The little troublemaker. Um, but no, I mean, there's certain there's certain pairings. And uh, Mel Brooks and um, Gene Wilder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The pair, the, that's what's that's one of the things that's missing from Spaceballs is Gene Wilder. Yes, one hundred percent. And Mel Brooks freely admits that. I the only reason he started starring in his own movies was because Gene Wilder stopped working with him. Yeah, and not I don't think it was like a, a, I don't think there was any animosity no, or no, anything. Just, I think it was just that Gene Wilder was getting a lot of other work and he's he was, making a lot more money with yeah, Richard Pryor doing movies never with available. him. That's true. You that's know? very true. In 1976, uh, Mel did the Mel Brooks treatment to silent film in his movie, Silent Movie. Which was really good. It's a silent movie. Yeah. I mean, there is yeah. no dialogue. One, I think there's one, one word. From uh, Marcel the Mime. Yeah, Marcel yeah. Marceau, who Marcel. is a mime who never speaks, and he has him speak, which is the genius yeah. of Mel Brooks. Yes, exactly. There's a hilarious scene. And another Mel Brooks guy that's missing from Spaceballs, and I'm not sure if he had passed by then, but it's Marty Feldman. Who yeah yeah uh, was one of the most hilarious guys, and not just because he had crazy eyes, right? Like right. the crazy eyes helped, but the impeccable comic timing <laughs> yeah, and yeah. everything about him was just absolutely unbelievably funny. And yeah, I think there there is the thing about Brooks is there are guys that get it, yeah, and there are guys that don't. And I think with Spaceballs, unfortunately, a lot of the actors didn't get it, like they didn't, yeah. Yeah. It didn't click like it does with everybody I, who's like Yeah. You know, you if you look at if you look at Young Frankenstein, everybody's in that movie. I mean, and they're in yeah. head to toe. Right. And there's right. no like winking at the even if they're winking at the camera, they're winking at the camera in character. There's yeah. no yeah. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's 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 impeccable. Same thing with Blazing Saddles. You know, there's a lot of goofy stuff going on. Right. But it's goofy stuff with guys that came from that era, like you know, these guys all came from that type of comedy like yeah it came from carol burnett show or they came from yeah a vaudeville or they right, came from right. that era of they knew how to be big but also real which right. his right. movies all hinge on the 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 bigness and the realness m- moving together so you're what you're watching is a great movie like a great example is high anxiety Mm-hmm. Which is his takeoff on Hitchcock. And I think the first movie that he actually starred in yes. as himself. Yeah, in 1977, yeah. Which, yeah. and he was brilliant in it. Mm-hmm. He was so good in it. And it's such a funny, smart, kind of, you know, it's it's right. it's a Hitchcock movie. Right, right. But it's got Cloris Leachman. It's got all of his, you know, 
his stalwarts that are so good. You know, you didn't have any Leachman, you didn't have Marty Feldman, you didn't have, yeah, you know, all the guys. It it definitely, and, and we'll get into this more after we go get actually get to Spaceballs, but uh, <laughs> if we ever do. But uh, but yeah, it it definitely. It definitely felt like it was a little. He was. It just seemed like he was tired. It was an. It's very eighties, and, it, yeah. and with a lot of eighties stuff, it's kind of lazy. I, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. there is a, there is a aspect or a quality to some eighties movies that it, it's in all the eighties movies. I don't know if yeah. it was like yeah. the crew was all coked up, or <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know what the the secret right. ingredient right. was to give it just. It could be the editors because it's the pacing. I think that just yeah, there's is a little definitely yeah. definitely in Spaceballs. There's some stuff that just holds a little too long, mm-hmm. you know. And and maybe it's because it's now we just are used to a faster pace or faster editing or something. Maybe, but I but I you know yeah. if you watch, I don't get that same thing with uh, Blazing Saddles, and I yeah, don't get it with yeah. Young Frankenstein right, Anxiety. Right. And oh, in in Silent Movie, one of the greatest scenes is <laughs> you have. Uh, Burt Reynolds taking a shower, and he's soaping himself up, and then another hand comes up, and another hand, yeah, and another yeah. hand, and Dom DeLuise and Marty Feldman are all in the shower with him, and he notices, and then there's the silent scream, and they, it's like, scream! It's just, it's it's such, it's not a perfect movie, yeah, but yeah. it's such a cool experiment to in the 70s to make an actual silent movie. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of guts, and it also shows the power that he had, that the studio right, was like, right. oh, silent movie? Okay, I guess yeah, we're going right, to save a yeah. lot on sound. No mag stock. <laughs> in 1981, he released History of the World Part 1, a satirization of historical spectacular films in which he wrote, produced, directed, and played five different characters. Yes. Piss yeah. One wasn't enough. <laughs> uh, the movie ended with a tagline suggesting that a sequel would be called Jews in Space. That was a really funny movie. Yeah. And they're actually, what he's working on now yeah. is History of the World Part Two. Yeah. Let's say we just uh, worked with somebody working on that yeah. right now. So yeah. So that's coming. Yeah. It's more of a sketch type movie. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's, a, and it's a series. It's not a movie. Yeah. It's a series. So it's it's going to be, yeah. I but think he's working with some of the greatest, you yeah. know, comic. I mean, hell, how can you say no to Mel Brooks? No, I mean, no. everybody. Who would, yeah. I wish I was in it. Yeah. <laughs> You might still. Who knows? Yeah, well, he's getting old. <clears throat> so after the success of the Star Wars films, Brooks realized it, uh, that the genre would be ripe for the satirization treatment. Uh, he, he fully admits that he's like, I've, I've ruined all the other genres. Might as well ruin this <laughs> one, too. Uh, Spaceballs was not the first film to satirize Star Wars. Oh, no. In 1978, there was a short film called Hardware Wars, oh, which made that. the writer-director a ton of money. Like, he made, like, half a million dollars off this. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, people were clamoring for yeah. anything Star Wars. Yeah. And this was a really clever parody made with, like, an iron. I mean, yeah, the Hardware yeah, Wars yeah. was all, like, it was so... all the ships were just right. household crap, yeah, you know? yeah. And it was very silly, and I remember seeing it in like short film festivals. And you would like look for it. You it, you would search out Hardware Wars. Yeah, yeah. You would try to find it. It was yeah, it was extreme. Uh, you can find it now on YouTube. <laughs> People love parodies. Yeah, it, they do. They do. They really do. Uh, George Lucas himself said that Hardware Wars was a cute little picture. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it was a cute little picture. <laughs> Exactly. So <clears throat> Brooks wrote his untitled space opera satire with Ronnie Graham and Thomas Meehan, who both co-wrote the Mel Brooks-produced film To Be or Not To Be. Mm, see, that was okay. Yeah. 
It know. was more of an ode to his parents, I think. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. And it was a love letter to his wife and Bancroft because they yeah. were both in it together. Um, it was like a musical. It was it was yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, both Ronnie Graham and Thomas Meehan are actually in Spaceballs. Uh, Ronnie Graham plays the minister who is marrying Prince Ves- Princess Vespa. So hilarious. Uh, who's hilarious. He's yes. an old comic. He's oh, an old yeah, tiny yeah, yeah. comic. Uh, and Thomas Meehan uh, is actually a playwright, and he is in Spaceballs. He's only seen in one scene when uh, near the very end. Yeah. Well, he, I don't think he was a performer. Uh, no, no, he was not. Um uh, it took six months to write the script, but Brooks loved every minute of it. Uh, at this point, he had been directing a lot, and he was kind of tired of it. And he said, Writing is, there is nothing, and then there is something. So it's almost godlike. It's really creating. Once there's a script, there's something there to be cast. There's something there to be designed. There's something there to hire cameramen to film. But it can't equal the power of making something from nothing. The original script was 247 pages long. Yeah, that's why... It- well, six months really isn't that long to no, write a script. No, 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 no. Uh, they did trim it down to 140, where he claims they found their sweet spot. Yeah, well, you should have cut it down to 90. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think the script was the problem. I and and again, I'm going to preface all this by saying I absolutely love this movie. Spaceballs is a fantastic oh, comedy. I, I, it's one of my favorites. I really like Spaceballs. <laughs> I've grown to like it a lot more. Yeah, over time. Well, you and a lot of other people. Uh, The writers settled on the title Planet Moron, but then they learned that there was a British science fiction spoof called Morons from Outer Space. Uh, The writers decided to go through letters of the alphabet to find another word to add to space for the title. As they were doing it, Brooks spilled a drink and shouted, Balls! And Ronnie Graham shouted, Space Balls! The name gave them the idea that the movie villains would then wear ball-shaped helmets. Nice. Yeah. Uh, upon completion of the script, Brooks knew he would need to get George Lucas's blessing to do the film. So George, he sent the script to George. George read it and approved of it, but had a couple of conditions. Spaceballs could do no merchandising for the film. Don't you dare get into the merchandising, because that's where my money is. Yeah, that's 100% true. Uh, Lucas was worried that people would confuse Spaceballs action figures for the Star Wars action figures, uh, which all of this led to Mel Brooks creating the merchandising scene with yogurt. Very funny. Yeah, it was very merchandising. Uh, And the other thing that Lucas told him he could not do was he could not dress Lone Star like Han Solo. So Brooks instead dressed him like Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones if he was going to uh, Home Depot on the weekend. Low low rent Indiana Jones, yeah. yeah. He had some khakis and checkered shirt. (laughs) It was the most simple costume ever. Yeah, I mean, he could just have literally driven up, you know, in his... I don't know what he was driving at the time. Probably a Jeep. Yeah, probably. And then uh, just be like, hey, slap a little makeup on my face and I'm ready to go. (laughs) George uh, Lucas was impressed enough with the script that it not only gave Mel his blessing, he agreed to have ILM do some of the post work on the film. Uh, I think when George asked him, uh, Mel was essentially like, I can't say no. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean. Well, why would he? I mean, ILM is the best. Right, right. Uh, And it also gives him, you know, it gives a more... Realistic, oh yeah, yeah. Deal to I mean, why, why? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Go to the source. Uh, So Lucas also gave them an unused shot of an escape pod blasting off from Star Wars, which made it into the final cut of the film when Mm. when the Mega Maid is exploding. Mega Maid. Yeah. Uh, Brooks settled on a budget of twenty two point seven million dollars, his highest budget up to that point, which was more than all of the three Star Wars films put together. Yes. And I think more than every movie that up to that point that Brooks had done. 
uh, yeah. combined, if I yeah. if I recall correctly. Uh, he did end up spending $30 million on Dracula Dead and Loving It in 1995. That was a mistake. Which did not earn its money back. <laughs> no, that was sad. Because that was like the end of two great comic media careers. Yeah. So not the end, but it was just like... It just was, yeah. yeah Leslie Nielsen was kind of getting... Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was definitely shown. Get long in the tooth. I don't know. The audience wasn't loving it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so they cast Bill Pullman as Lone Star. Uh, Brooks's first choice for the character was James Caan. God, that would have been so awesome. That would have been so, so awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, James Caan was struggling with addiction, and the producers of the movie ultimately thought that it was a bad idea when he was deemed too expensive to insure on set. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he then asked Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, and Tom Berenger, all who turned him down. Uh, all three of those probably. I mean, Tom Hanks, all three of them are bad choices. I, you think of bad choices? Mm-hmm. I think Tom Hanks of the three of them would have been probably done the best with it. Uh, yeah, but he's not a, a, a rogue, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's and true. Tom Berenger's not funny. No, Tom Berenger. And Tom Cruise is a robot. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Hey. Spaceballs. I oh hey princess cannot I'm gonna do comedy. Imagine Tom yeah, Cruise comedy comedy. Yeah, this what is me this? doing comedy. Well, he did do that uh, that bit in Tropic Thunder that was pretty funny, where he did the same three dance moves over and over and over again, and everybody was like, "Oh, it's brilliant! He can dance I, in the fat suit." Yeah, I it was a it was a fat suit. Him screaming a lot. I don't. I mean, I love uh, Tropic Thunder is a Grossman, great movie. Something Grossman. Uh, less Grossman. Less Grossman. Uh, it just was. I just didn't understand why people thought it was the greatest thing ever. Well, it's just because it's anytime he does anything slightly different than the robotic, you know, movies where he runs for thirty percent of the movie in his <laughs> very Tom quickly running way, very quickly. Then people are like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, like it's when he true. did Magnolia. It's yeah. like, "Oh my goodness!" Ooh, uh, that's my favorite performance of his. Yeah, because it's probably the most realistic yeah. to him. Uh, you know, that. and it's I don't know. It yeah, yeah. I. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save this for another Tom Cruise episode. Yeah, uh, Pullman got the part of Lone Star when Brooks and his wife Anne Bancroft saw him in a play. Uh, Pullman had actually never seen Star Wars prior to filming. Ugh, I, okay, this is why I had problems with Bill Pullman in in this movie because I the first thing that I remember seeing Bill Pullman in was Serpent and the Rainbow. Do you do you ever see that? I did a long time ago. It's this. It's a good movie. It's a uh, Wes Craven, I think. Yeah directed that. I think so, yes. Or wrote it. I know it's a, a Wes Craven uh, uh, He's involved somehow, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Bill Pullman plays, I don't know, a doctor or something, mm-hmm. but he is in, it's all about voodoo yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, zombies, but like voodoo zombies and uh, black magic and all that stuff. And his performance is very sweaty and very serious. <laughs> And I don't know. There was just it's the it's the it's the first impression problem that I have with some oh, actors. I see. You know, I see. Like, yeah. I like Serpent in the Rainbow. It was an interesting movie. Yeah. But when yeah. it was like, oh, oh, Bill Pullman, <laughs> and still it's like he, he doesn't see like Bill Pullman's funny, but he always plays kind of dumb. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I think Bill Pullman's an amazing actor. There's a show he has now where he plays a cop. Mm-hmm. It's I think in his third season. It's excellent, and he's. An amazing actor, and I love him. There's all these guys that I really like as older actors. I yeah, wanted to say yeah. this too. I've been meaning to say this yeah. over the last few shows. Um, I give a lot of uh, shit to um, 
the guy from Mad About You. Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser. I'm always like, oh, I hate Paul Reiser. I hate Paul Reiser. Okay, I just rewatched the uh, three seasons of Stranger Things to get prepared for yeah. the season coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Paul Reiser was really good in that. Paul Reiser is good. He is a really good actor. Yeah. I think my problem is with Mad About You. <laughs> and I just want to go on record and apologize to Mr. Reiser yeah. and say that I've enjoyed him in just about everything else I've seen him in, whether it's Aliens or the Barry Levinson films or Stranger Things. And yeah. so, hey, yeah. I'm sorry. I know he's a big fan. And it was yeah, really, yeah. he was really sad. He was about hurt. It. Yeah, he texts me a lot about it. Yeah, we got a lot of actual letters. Yeah, written in the mail in yeah. calligraphy from him. Yeah, it's such a class act. But yeah. I just want to apologize, Mr. Riser. You're you're a talent and a treasure. <laughs> you just really hate Mad About You. Oh God, I hate that show so much. All right, <laughs> maybe I don't like what's her name. Maybe it's her. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, oh God, she was in Castaway. And yeah. I, I don't like her. Oh, he- Helen, Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Yeah, maybe it's Helen Hunt. I I have heard uh, some really really bad things about Helen Hunt. Oh, uh, she is apparently not a very nice person. Well, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, That's uh, so I'm, maybe it is. Maybe it is Helen Hunt. Maybe it is. It's Helen probably not. Hunt. It's probably whoever created the show that you hate so much. Oh, it's a dumb show. We're gonna we're gonna find out. And we're not doing a mad we're about bring you him on show. the show. We're not doing it. It's Charlie Clark. I brought him. He's right here right <laughs> oh now. Oh my god. <laughs> You're so old. So <laughs> Bill Pullman said about the Toms turning Mel down. I think Mel was hurt that they didn't take him up on it, but then it attracted two of the big comics at the time, John Candy and Mark Moranis. Once that was secured, then he said, heck, I'll get somebody nobody knows. I got a chance to do it. <laughs> uh, that's a very spot on Bill Pullman. Oh, yeah. I've studied Bill Pullman. Yeah. Uh, Rick Moranis is playing Dark Helmet. Oh, one uh, of the greatest. Moranis was coming off the success of Ghostbusters. Uh, he'd starred in Brewster, Brewster's Millions and uh, Little Shop of Horrors, both with John Candy. He was in Brewster's Millions? Yeah. Who did he play in that? I don't remember. Because that was... Uh, it was a bit part. It wasn't Must much. have been, yeah. Because yeah. that was... Uh, that was uh, it's all about Richard Pryor today. Because that was like... Yeah. That was Richard, Richard Pryor, Pryor and John, John Candy. Candy. Yeah, a yeah, very yeah. underrated, interesting film. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I, I need to watch it again. You had to spend like $3 million in two yeah. weeks or something. Yeah, some, one of those funny 80s conceit <laughs> yes. movies. The, the movie, all these movies that started with the reading of a will. Hi, hi, I'm the executor of your grandfather's will. He's going to leave you $75 million, but you have to be married on the stroke of midnight yeah. in two days to a werewolf named Judy. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, Brooks constantly praised Moranis' dedication on set. Uh, Moranis suggested the voice change when the helmet came down. He's the best part of that movie, hands down. He, he like, gets it. He like you were saying, it. you were saying, is that he was in it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. It was never the winky nod like, hey, look at me doing the funny movie. He was Dark Helmet yeah. the entire time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brooks thought it would be funny if Dark Helmet played with the Spaceballs dolls, so he asked Rick Moranis to improvise the scene, and they did it all in one take. One of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's so One of funny. the best scenes. Although I don't understand why some of the action figures have bases and some don't. I mean, are they action figures or are they statues? Because it doesn't seem like they were articulated. I'm pretty sure that they were just the models. <laughs> and it didn't look like Daphne the... Zuniga at all. It didn't look like Bill Pullman either. No, it was very disappointing. They, didn't, they, didn't, they could have made action figures. All right. 
<laughs> uh, Rick Moranis actually suggested John Candy play Barf. Uh, so John Candy got the part. As yeah. Barf. Well, they. I mean, they not only worked together in a ton of films, but they yeah. came up together yeah. in SCTV, SCTV. You know, in Canada. In Can- Canada. It was all about comedy. Yeah. Uh, Candy had done a couple of lead roles prior to this in Summer Rental and Armed and Dangerous, but the movies didn't quite catch on. He didn't quite catch on as a lead player. No. Um, he was better as, as doing either co-starring or or um, eventually he could do lead stuff. Summer but. Rental was really funny. Yeah. I think that was underrated. Armed and Dangerous wasn't really that great. And then there was that one where he was like the soap opera writer or something. And then yeah, that I, I think that came later. That uh, was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually he was he could pull a, a movie himself. Well, he um, was great. And then he started doing drama, it, and he had a great career ahead of him. And then he died. It was it was all because of planes, trains, and automobiles that he kind of revitalized his career. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, in, in Spaceballs too, to I, a certain extent. But. I, I like me. <laughs> I like me. He was so good in that movie. Uh, let's listen to our episode about planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the original look for Barf was for the character to wear a full-face bulldog mask. But when Candy was cast in the role, Mel Brooks thought it would be ridiculous to hide his face. He said, If we're going to hire John Candy, if we're going to hide... <clears throat> if they were going to hide John Candy behind a mask, you might as well hire someone else for half the price. After the full mask was scrapped, a nose and upper lip piece was tried. Candy approved, but Brooks hated it. I hate it! They finally settled on animatronic ears, a small nose, and a patch over one eye to look like the dog from our gang. The no- it's just drawn on the nose. I mean, it's yeah, the it's worst not, makeup. It's, it's, it's just, it's, so but it's funnier. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot more, it's a lot funnier that they just drew a patch on his eye and put yeah. some cork on his nose. Well, I think the patch, the patch has some like fur or something. Like it's a Florida. white fur. Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely got some like. Uh, texture to it, but yeah. anyway, I was when we watched it recently. I was paying a lot of attention to his face. Yeah, you were. Uh, despite the simple look, uh, it still took three people to operate the costume. Uh, Candy would move the tail with a hidden control in his paw, and two crew members would each control an ear off camera. The entire contraption was powered by a thirty-pound battery that Candy wore on his back. Nice. That's insane to me. I. To, to just control some ears? Well, odd. things were different back then, man. Servos were huge. That's true. We didn't have tiny little microchips, baby. It was the 80s. Yep. Computers filled a room. <laughs> well, That's not true. really, but pretty big. <laughs> yeah, in the 80s, yeah. <laughs> uh, Daphne Zuniga is, uh, got cast as Princess Vespa. I think it's Zuniga. A Zun- is it? Mm-hmm. Z- oh, I'm going to say Zuniga. Well, you say Zuniga, I say Zuniga. You say Beluga, I say Buliga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brooks first saw Daphne Zuniga in Rob Reiner's The Sure Thing in 1985. Great movie. And she was his first choice for the character. She, well, because she basically plays that part yeah. in that movie. It's with yeah. John Cusack. It's a fun road movie. Very it's, fun yeah. movie. It's a good movie. Rob Reiner directed it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. Uh, Zuniga initially found Brooks' film parodies too crass and not funny. Uh, not too funny. But after working with Brooks, she said, I have this image of Mel as totally wacko and out to lunch. And he is. But he is also really perceptive, real sensitive in ways that make actors respond. Wow, she really draws out that last syllable. She's an actress. Yeah. <laughs> Joan Rivers was cast as the voice of Dot Matrix, the droid that helps Princess Vespa. I think that is the funniest, one of the funniest bits in the whole movie is her name. Dot Matrix, yeah. yeah. It's just printer. Yeah, so yeah. Funny. It's great. It, I mean, it works so well. 
the robot was designed to look like Joan Rivers as she was cast very early on. Uh, Did we talk? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lorreen Yarnell provided Dot Matrix's on-screen physical performance. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yarnell was part of the famous married mime group Shields and Yarnell. Oh, my God. If you don't... If you're my age, then... You know Shields and Yarnell <laughs> well, because they would pop up on yeah, every everything. variety show ever. Johnny and Marie, you know. Oh, here's a, here's a, the, the Dolly partner. Sp- super special. There's Shields and Yarnell yeah, yeah, yeah. doing country Everyone. mime. Oh, hey. Oh, uh, look. It's, it's the Kiss special. Mm, I guess we're going to have, ooh, Shields and Yarnell doing metal mime. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> they yeah. were just... I, there was a time when Mimery was actually on television. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. There was like, and not just them. There was no, also no, Marcel Marceau, who yeah. was just like well, one of the most, yeah. uh, uh, one of the most uh, famous mimes of all times. <laughs> but yeah, man, we had to put up a lot of Mimery back then. A lot then. of Mimery. A lot of Mimery. Six complete Dark Matrix suits were built for Yarnell to wear, and they used all of them due to them being broken on set. Yeah, she mimed the shit out of those suits. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Brooks played Yogurt and President Scrooge. Uh, Mel Brooks says he wouldn't have played roles like Yogurt. If Gene Wilder hadn't abandoned me to do his own movies. Yeah. Uh, the gold-colored makeup for Yogurt actually gave him a terrible rash on his face and neck, necessitating the shooting of most of Yogurt's scenes out of sequence, and his knees were hurting constantly since he had to walk around on his knees even though he was wearing knee pads. Wham. And, of course, Scroob is an anagram of Brooks. Scroob! You could not figure that one out. <laughs> uh, George, He's always yeah. great, though. I mean, that's he played a very similar character in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he plays the little mustachioed. I just love how it's like he... <laughs> this is what I love about Mel Brooks. Is that the villain... In Spaceballs is a 1923 villain that should be putting somebody on the train, you know, putting the, right, the Daphne right. Zuniga on the train tracks, right. you know, and twiddling his mustache. Ooh, <laughs> his, he's just, he's, all he's missing is a top hat. Uh, his uh, very drawn-on mustache. Yes. Ooh, his little <laughs> pedophile mustache. Uh, George Weiner was cast as Colonel Sanders. Nice. Uh, Sanders was originally offered to Steve Martin. Uh, I, it would have been interesting. He would have been great. Uh, Look, he would have been great, yeah. You know, Wiener is kind of a low rent Martin. He's got yeah. the same kind of cadence. He kind of, yeah. he's got, yeah. he, he can, he could have been the understudy for any part Steve Martin's ever yeah. played, except for maybe the jerk. But, uh, yeah. but Martin was doing his own thing. Back yeah, then, yeah. You know? No, was, I, I'm sure he turned it down because it was not, it was a, it was a small part in the movie. But so. that's the thing, man. Not to say that George did a bad job as Colonel Sanders. He was great. Yeah, he was fantastic. He understood. He's, he's a, he's, he's one of the, you know, the Mel Brooks players yeah. who really understands how the movies work. But if we would have had, like, James Caan and Steve Martin and Gene Wilder in these parts, then right. we would have had the classic yeah, a movie. Classic Mel Brooks movie, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Wiener, Weiner, or Wiener, however you say his name. Uh, has you a, say Wiener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. say Wiener. He's had a long TV career appearing in dozens of TV shows, particularly with Stephen Bochco appearing in the Bochco shows Hill Street Blues, Doogie Howser, MD, Brooklyn South, NYPD Blue, and L.A. Law. Not a lot of people know this, but he helped Bochco bury a body back oh, in the late oh. 70s. And he lives in the Bochco. I'm going to help you bury this body. But you gotta give me a job on everything you do. Every everything, every show. And he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." But you know, the strange thing is, the body they're burying was 
It was just a possum that he accidentally <laughs> hit with his car. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, he'd also worked with Brooks on To Be or Not To Be, his previous film. Very f- Not a lot of people remember that movie. I've never seen it. I, I don't know. I should. I need, I need to it's find a, it, though. It's much more straightforward. It's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not a farce, really. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to see. Uh, Dick Van Patten was cast as King Roland. Uh, Van Patten is most well-known for playing the dad on Eight is Enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, he'd work with Brooks on High Anxiety. He was freaking hilarious. He gets it, too. Patton yeah. is an old-school comedian. Those guys get comedy in a way... It's That's the thing with the Brooks type of comedy. It's very right. old-school, you know, like I said, kind of like the Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, yeah. You know, very slapsticky. But... There's a there's a fine line between being too big and too, you know, there's a sweet spot in that kind yeah, of satire yeah. that you have to hit. And, Pat, and Van Patten was one of the guys who was hitting oh, right yeah. in the spot. Oh, yeah. Air! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm breathing air! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Michael Winslow as the radar technician on Spaceball One. <laughs> Michael Winslow, known as the man of 10,000 sound effects. Uh, and this is the funny thing, is that I looked it up because I was like, oh, he was in a police academy before this. Before Spaceballs came out, did you know there were four police academy movies? Yes. And I think after this came out, there were four more. Four or five, yeah. if, I, if I recall I don't know if correctly. he was in all of them. I don't think so. He uh, might have been. I think it got to the point where there was nobody of the original cast was in them. Yeah, the last one was just called Police Academy. Who are all these guys? <laughs> <laughs> Mel Brooks estimated that Winslow saved him about $1,000 by letting him do his own sound effects. That guy is insane. Wow. He is so talented. Yeah. He, he, was, he would do stand-up, and it was just – he had this tiny little device that he could use that would just turn his mouth into everything. And just recently yeah. – I think it was on America's Got Talent. Yeah. He yeah. came back because his kids were like, Dad, you're so talented. Let's reintroduce yeah, you to a new group. Yeah. And he went on, and he killed it. And it's just good to see him back because yeah. that guy, he is an unsung hero he, and one talented, really funny guy. And not just the voices. Like if no, you look at his, funny, com- yeah, yeah, he's a he's a good actor. He's got good comic timing, and the voices are just the cherry on top. Right, right. We love you, Michael Winslow. He is, he's fantastic. I, he deserves more work. A hundred percent. Yeah. If yeah. we had the ability, I would I would make a movie with my new best friend, Paul Reiser, <laughs> and Michael Winslow is a couple of old buddies. <laughs> Going to <laughs> take their other buddy his ashes someplace. You can to... just see Paul Reiser just being annoyed by the sound effects yeah. all the time. Look, hey, look, could you just stop? Could you just stop with the electric guitar for five seconds? <laughs> Come on, hey, hey, yeah. Jimi Hendrix hated playing the guitar. <laughs> Tom DeLuise did the voice of Pizza the Hut, uh, although he was not in the suit. Oh, God, no. That suit was uh, disgusting. Uh, it was so gross. It was uh, worn by actor and special effects artist Richard Karen. Uh, when additional shooting was required, Karen thought that it was so gross that he refused to climb back into the suit. Karen! Karen, get in the suit! Come on, get in the suit, Karen! I ain't getting in that goddamn suit again. You can't get me. You fire me for all God. I don't care. I'm not getting in that goddamn suit. It's disgusting. You see all that stuff dripping up? That's not pizza. That's glue. That's glue and boogers. Uh, special effects artist Rick Lazzarini took his place instead. Stick Lazzarini in it. He uh, created the animatronic ears for Barf. Those ears never worked. Stick Lazzarini in it. He also played one of the uh, um, the apes at the end. Oh, yeah. Parody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although, <clears throat> contrary to rumor, one of them is not Michael York, 
playing the ape, even though it sounds like him. It sounds more like... I thought he sounded a lot more like James Mason than he did. I Probably, but I think at this point, James Mason would, would have been too old or well, dead. Yes, I think it was an impersonation <laughs> yeah. of James Mason. But it's, yes. More yes. than an impersonation right. of Michael York. But Michael York was hounded constantly oh, about sure. being in this movie, to the point where he said that he has succe- unsuccessfully tried to get the credit off his online resumes, but has given up on it. Yeah, and he wasn't in... The original Planet of the Apes Yeah, I don't know why. It was Roddy McDowell. Yeah, I don't know why they would have thought it was Michael York. Anyway. People's crazy. Uh, Sir John Hurt claimed that Mel Brooks talked him into self-parodying his role from Alien by making it sound like it would be a brief walk-on cameo. Only when Hurt came to the set did he realize the entire scene was an elaborate spoof of the chestburster scene from Alien. Uh, Hurt figured that he ought to have asked for an actual salary. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. Hey, it's nothing. You're just going to come on. It'll take you 15 minutes. It'll be nothing. We'll put you in the suit. It'll be really funny. It'll be nothing. Yeah. Why are you strapping me down? And what is, <laughs> yeah, what is, what is You're making me do the chest busting scene again. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, I, I, there's a puppet. There's a puppet. That is one of the greatest scenes, too, in the movie. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It was the Michigan J. Frog. Michigan J. Frog. Hello, yeah. my honor. Hello, my bur- bur- Hello, my ragtime girl. Uh, the chest was actually created by a- ILM. It's one of the... Uh, the few things that they actually created for the movie. Nice. You could totally see where the puppet was controlled. Yes. It was the part that was outside <laughs> the frame. <laughs> Spaceballs, when released, would make over $6 million in its opening weekend behind Dragnet. Oof. Yeah. We want to talk about Stinker. Woo. Dragnet's not that bad, but it's not that good. And like, yeah. it, at the time, it was pretty awful. Yeah. And, yeah. like, it's, it's like anything of the 80s. It gets a little less stinkier as time goes right, by, because right. you realize how stinky things have gotten since then. Yeah, well, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it's odd to me that that beat. Well, I guess because Tom Hanks was pretty big at Tom the time. Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. I mean, Dan Aykroyd coming off Ghostbusters and stuff. Like it, it, it yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It but. was a big. Everybody was excited for Dragnet until they saw it. Yeah. Uh, Spaceballs would eventually take in over $38 million, uh, so technically I think it did turn a profit. No. Yeah. Um, depending on, I don't think that the budget included the, uh, PNR or whatever, so, like, I, it, it's possible it didn't. Uh, many critics thought it was too soon for a parody of Star Wars, being that it was only 10 years old. Uh, George Lucas disagreed. He loved the movie and wrote, loved it. wrote Brooks a letter after its premiere saying... Dear Mel Brooks, I thought I was going to bust something from laughing so hard at your silly fun movie called Spaceballs. <laughs> P.S. Don't you dare do any merchandising or I will sue you until you're dead. <laughs> Lucas also told Brooks that he had he not chosen to parody Star Wars, this movie would have succeeded as a great adventure movie. It's just a great adventure movie. It's just a great adventure movie. You know, everybody gets packed up in the Winnebago and... <laughs> And they just head out to the desert. It's a good time. Brooks said that he was extremely flattered by Lucas's compliments and support. Yeah, the only one who liked the movie. Uh, the movie did win. <laughs> At the time, that's actually pretty true. Uh, the film did win a, an award. It won the worst picture at the 1987 Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Oh, it's a Stinkers. This is before the Raspberries. Yeah. The this, well, 
I yeah. think this is at the same time. I know. I think the Razzies came in the 90s. Oh, did they? Okay. I think so. I, for some reason, I thought they came in the early 80s. But... Well, I guess we could do research, but we're not going to. This was the 10th. you, folks. The 10th. Well, I didn't look up the words. But this was the 10th. Uh, the 10th Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Ooh. So started in 1977. Stinkers aren't around anymore. No, they are not. There was they, a huge scandal in the they, Stinkers realm. They, they, they cheated at their voting, and it was bad. It was a murder. <laughs> 1992. A lot of murders in this episode. <laughs> in the stinker's office, there was the smoke of a gun. Sorry, I was doing my two crime podcast. Okay. No, no worries. A novelization for the film was, rele- was released on June 1st, 1987. It was actually written by R.L. Stein under the pseudonym Jovial Bob Stein. A novelization of a satirical movie. This is what we. This is what merchandising was yeah. back then. Oh yeah. Every movie had a novelization. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. single movie. It was so weird. You could have a collection, a movie collection that was just books. Oh, oh think about that for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Blow up my mind. I'm just gonna read. Hey, you guys want to read Jaws? Well, Jaws was a book first. That's a stupid, <laughs> stupid example. Hey, y'all, you guys want to read uh, Spaceballs? Let's read Spaceballs tonight. Yay. We would all sit around the fire, and Dad would read Spaceballs to us, do all the voices. Rick Moranis claimed in a 2013 interview that he and Brooks had discussed a potential sequel with Moranis pitching the title Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. Hilarious. Which is great. Uh, however, he and Brooks were unable to structure a deal that would allow the project to move, move forward. In February 2015, Brooks said that he would like to make a sequel to be released after the next Star Wars film in hopes that Moranis reprised his role. The proposed film, Brooks said, may be called Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Which was what he called it in the actual movie. Yeah. However, in February 2020, Bill Pullman said during an interview with Daily Blast Live... Yeah, it's up to Mel. Ask him if he has too much money and that's why he does it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I honestly, and we'll talk about it more. In Mel Brooks the, uh, is a hundred years old. Yeah, almost. No, no, no. You know, and it's like he, he, the great thing is he still wants to work on whatever. But he just lost his best. He's lost everybody. He's lost yeah. his wife. He's lost yeah. all of his friends. He just lost his best friend Carl Reiner. He used to have yeah. dinner with every night. Yeah, and God bless him for working and doing uh, working on this show. But I just don't think. The guy has another movie in him. I just think it's too much to no, ask. No, no. I think he's. I think he's past his prime, and I think. I just don't think he has the energy for it. Yeah. Um, but, but this is what I was trying. But he's a hundred, and yeah. he's still working. You know. I mean, he's still writing, and he's still funny. And yeah. He's still yeah, got a for sure a really sharp mind. Yeah. And it's and I'm really looking forward to the history of the world series that he's yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, we uh, have a friend mm-hmm. who was in a production of. Young Frankenstein in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Mel Brooks came out and, and, and saw the show yeah. and was like, you guys are amazing. He went backstage and he's was super fr- sweet. Yeah. The guy's a mensch. Yeah. He's a he's, sweet, yeah. sweet old yeah. Hollywood legend. Yeah. And he's one of the last legends left. Agreed. Totally agreed. We're going to definitely do a month about him. It's funny. I was just thinking, like, I know I gave uh, Spaceballs a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, treat him like a stepkid. Yeah. yeah. But... I do. I've, I've learned to love the movie. It's it's a great movie. I I always have a special place in my heart yes. for it. Uh, it was the first Mel Brooks movie I ever saw. So like, it's definitely. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. For me, I think what it comes down to is, I love Star Wars. Yeah, you know, Star Wars got me into movies. Mm-hmm. I love Mel Brooks. When I heard Mel Brooks was making Spaceballs, it was like. 
you know, chocolate and peanut butter. It was like yeah. Reese's. It was like a perfect combination, and I was so excited for it. But it it wasn't. It didn't live up to the hype for me. You yeah. know, it didn't live yeah. up to the quality of his earlier films. And I was also older. Right. You know, right. I was a shitty high school guy. <laughs> hate everything, man. Oh, nothing's cool anymore because I'm too cool for school. <laughs> yeah, that's what I sounded like. Um, but now I can see it for what it is and enjoy yeah. it for what it yeah. is. All and, right. and, and, and I think the most, sorry, but I think the most enjoyable thing is watching he and Moranis and yeah. even Wiener or Weiner. Uh, George. The yeah. three of them. Yeah. Those, that's the highlight of the movie. Oh, definitely. You know, definitely. when we're dealing with the I, space pools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be back next week with a stepdad show. Yeah. We're going to talk more about how much we love Star Wars and how and, much it in, in changed our lives. Yeah, and, uh, and Star Wars related stuff. And, and Star Wars related, yes. And I'm going to stop doing that voice, hopefully. <laughs> Good Lord. He won't. Never! <laughs> I may... Okay, sorry, I keep skipping over. I can't side-eye these things. <clears throat> but they then learned there was a British science... Wow. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program, Funky Phantom, already in progress. <laughs>